Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Lord, I pray you would make these words your words, God. I pray, Lord, that they would traverse the thousands of years from when they were written. And Lord, you would make them real and you would make them relevant today. I pray, God, that these words would not bring up in some people's hearts, Lord, deep, deep wounds. Oh, God. Oh, God. I pray rather, Lord, you would bring to our hearts, Lord, the truth that was written into these words in the very beginning, God, and that 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 alone would come forth from the reading of the scriptures today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our title for the message today is A Strategy of Unity. It's the last in our series on our being of one accord. And I'm turning to Colossians for our first reading, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And I want to give some background to this particular text right here. In this chapter where Paul is writing, he is talking about the putting off. It's a putting off segment. He talks about the dying to the old self, putting aside the old behaviors. It's about, and he gets to this, about instead putting on the new, renewed life that we have in Christ. And then he ends that segment and goes into this on verse 11. Let me start reading. Colossians 3, verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ in all is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'm going to finish that segment of Paul's right there at that point. And as he completes this segment, as he noted, the first segment began about talking about what we must put off. And then he talks about this, our shared experience of Christ. This letter is written to a very diverse group of Jesus followers. And this group, it seems that they come from a variety of backgrounds, It's a great illustration of this is actually in our series graphic that shows a picture of a line with people on both sides of the line. All of them have crosses, different colored crosses over their heads. That means they're all Christians, perhaps of different backgrounds, and they're divided by this particular line. Boy, does that speak to what Paul's talking about in his letter to the church at Colossae. Externally, the things that the Colossians share in common may only be their, their home address. However, most significantly, 
they all know one person and have a shared experience with that one person. So let's understand how diverse they really are. And I believe that in verse 11, Paul is beginning a list of people within the church who have serious, naturally occurring barriers between them based on ethnicity, where they were born, not based on opinions or politics, you see. The first one, here there is not Greek and Jew. Now, Paul is highlighting a barrier here of ethnicity. Now, being Jewish can be both ethnicity, it can also, today as it is, a nationality, but it can also be a religion. But here in this case, Paul's talking about the Jew and the Greek. That's an ethnicity divide. And if you don't, you won't even understand, you could not understand the Greek and Jewish barrier unless you were a non-Jew convert to Christianity or even an ethnic Greek who was following after Jesus. Non-Jews felt like second class. There's an even greater controversy in the next barrier we're going to talk about between people of this first century church. Now, here's the key thing for you guys to understand. The Jews owned the religious higher ground. That was absolutely true in not just this church, but many of the churches. So then Paul talks about the circumcised and the uncircumcised. This is the religious barrier. This is where Jewish superiority becomes most evident. The Jew versus the non-Jew barrier was one of the most common controversies in the first century. Not so true today. In fact, today, we should all be concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. But this circumcised versus uncircumcised divide was addressed multiple times by Paul, who himself was a Jew, but he was sensitized because of his gospel calling to the Gentiles. In most churches where Paul found, that Paul had founded, there were both Jews and uncircumcised Greeks, all of them followers of Jesus. And Paul tried to address this barrier between them. If you want to find out more about it, you can check out the book of Ephesians and Galatians. Find, about, find out about the Judaizers who were trying to Judaize the Greeks. And then Paul, at one point, actually had to rebuke the apostle Peter for kowtowing to the Jewish believers. He was dissing the Gentile, the Greek believers. In these instances, all of this was because of their religious barrier. And Paul was clear there was no place for this barrier in Christianity. A classic example of Jewish superiority that some of you may know about is exemplified by this Jewish man's morning prayer. It starts with something like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a goyim. That means a Gentile, a non-Jew. Blessed are you, Lord God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a slave. And blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. Now, some scholars suggest that that very prayer is what Paul was alluding to in this earlier version of this, in the Galatians 3.28, when he says this, there is neither Greek nor Jew, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul went after this in every regard. 
He was calling an end to this religious divide in a very specific way. But hold on, there were other outsiders, those who were disenfranchised, unappreciated minority members of the church at Colossae. This next one is a a group called barbarians. Listen, the word barbarian does not have any meaning to what we use today. My mother-in-law would use barbarian to describe uncouth table manners. And she would instruct my children and say, don't be a barbarian. She would say with her proper Boston accent. In other words, use good table manners. That's not what Paul's talking about here. A barbarian at that time was somebody who didn't speak the current language. These were people who didn't speak any Greek. And Greek was the lingua franca, the language of business and commerce in the first century. If you didn't speak Greek, you were disadvantaged. Think of this. In a public reading of the scriptures, they couldn't understand what was being read. They needed somebody to translate it for them so they can understand. That's barbarian. That's what that means. And this is a language barrier that existed in the church. And then there's this one called Scythian. Actually, it should be called Scythian, according to the Greek translation of this. This group is very hard to identify for Bible scholars, and there's not clear agreement amongst them in the commentaries exactly what a Scythian is. But outside of theology, if you go into anthropology, they've now begun doing DNA tests on the graves of the people who were called Scythians at the time of Paul's writing. And they came to this discovery. Their background and their ancestral roots are actually quite close to the people today that we call Iranians. They shared that background. But in the first couple of centuries before Christ, these Scythians, they were greatly feared. They were nomadic warrior people, but they were skilled equestrians. So when they would attack, they were always on horseback. They were vicious, cruel, and inhumane to their enemies. In their victories, they would always drink their enemies' blood. How vicious, how cruel. It makes me dizzy just thinking about it. But for some of them, they had come to Christ. And they were part of this church. I suppose a modern equivalent that I can think of of such a thing for you Star Trek fans would be Klingons. Okay, what would it mean this? How would you feel if you were a Klingon and then you became a follower of Christ, how would you be treated in the church? How might you feel isolated from the rest of the church? That was the Scythians' experience, and that was a classic cultural barrier. And then there is slave and free. This is a social class barrier, a distinction that existed in many of the churches of the first century. But some of the other translations say things like this. They'll say bond, bondman, servant. Or, and so the, the reason for that is the word doulos for, in the Greek can be translated in any one of those things. You have to understand what the context is. So please understand this. The first century version of slavery looked quite different from the inhumane African-American experience of slavery. Very different. In the first century, you could gain your freedom and Paul encouraged it. That means if you had earned enough money, you could buy your freedom. So this next phrase that's coming up after this, 
This phrase is the uniting principle. It is the hinge pin to our one accord. It is also the uniting principle for the church at Colossae. And then Paul says this, but Christ is all and in all. And in Paul's typical economy of words with the Greek language, his writing style leaves a bit of mystery for modern translators. Literally, if you look at the Greek, he said all and in all is Christ. And meaning all of them and in all of them is Christ. This expression of Paul's mystical theology about all of us, that in our diverse backgrounds, in our different spiritual gifts, all of us make up the body of Christ. And in all of us, Christ resides through his spirit by faith. So the principle from this passage is this. Our common experience of Christ in us, our common experience of Christ in us is what binds us in one accord. Let me say that again. The principle is this, is a very important one. Our common experience of Christ in us is what binds us in one accord. It's the uniting power of common experience. Let me mention this, if you guys may know about this, the phenomena of people who share a common experience that often unites them together for forever. In other words, the relationship has never changed after that. People who experience a trauma of some sort together, for the rest of their lives, they stay in relationship with one another. Some of us members who went on a difficult trip to Haiti. After Haiti, we felt a unity with one another after working so hard and laboring through that particular mission that we had a unity amongst us that existed after that common experience. But sadly, our common experience of Christ in us gets lost. I remember when I was working at a ball-bearing warehouse in high school. I had just been a recently saved. We're talking about a crazy, charismatic, formerly Roman Catholic. And I met a Baptist brother. And I greeted him so warmly. Hey, brother! And I'm sure he was thinking, oh, brother. And that's because Baptist is not equal to former Roman Catholic charismatic. And I learned that very quickly. Even though we should have had a bondage in Christ, it should have been enough for us to unite, say, brother. But it didn't happen. Yet here at New Covenant, I believe God has given us a unique feature. We have found a way to love and care for one another through our diversity, whether it's in politics, lots of minor theological differences, our educations, our view on creationism, eschatology, drinking, Calvinism versus Arminianism. We stay together. We hold our sense of unity together despite those differences. Now, this has been a hard balance to maintain, mind you, but in all of our diversity, if Christ alone is the basis of our one accord, well, then we still have to do something to preserve it. And that's my next point. There are actions we can actually work at to preserve that one 
accord. There are actually things we can do to preserve that one accord unity. So according to the scriptures, Paul was first talking about putting off some things, and then in Christ we're united in one accord. Then Paul addresses our spiritual standing. He starts out with the word put on, and then he qualifies it. And this is our spiritual standing. But then as God's chosen ones, that means elect of God. Sorry to you Arminians, but actually the word here is elect of God. Holy. And holy, by the way, is not a gold star for good behavior. Okay. Holy is the standing we have in God being a set apart for God as his people. Special. It is not our badge of honor. And beloved. And that is to say this. You are loved by God. That's what this means. You are loved to God. So put on then as chosen, set apart, loved people. Here's some put-ons, okay? Put on compassionate hearts. Literally, in the King James Bible and in the Greek, it says this. Put on bowels of compassion. I know that sounds offensive, but listen. Bowels in Greek Bowels in the King James means this. It's a location in our body where resides deep feelings. The closest modern equivalent I can think of this is to say this. From deep in my gut, I feel what you feel. That's the kind of compassion we have. I feel deep in my gut just what you feel. Of course, the simplest way we say is in my heart. But you know, in my heart is weird too, actually, all right? It's not in your physical heart that pumps blood, okay? So even in English, we have this kind of strange body organ equivalent of what we mean by heart, which is a deep place for our emotions. That's what we mean. It's a deep gut, lo gut level burden of compassion that we have towards one another that reaches across all of these barriers that we mentioned. This burden for one another, this gut level heart of compassion is to cross those boundaries. And to put on a heart of compassion, I need to listen and learn. I need to understand why you think the way you think. I need to know why you feel the way you feel. If we understand what this word means is I have to come and walk a mile in your shoes and then I can come to understand you. I saw a great illustration of this from Robert Morris, so I stole this example, but it's a really good one. And what he says is, okay, here is the issue before us. Just consider this water bottle the issue before us. And if you look carefully at this water bottle, it has a name on it. I can't see that name, I just see the water bottle. And the name on it, it says Deer Park. But you know what? I can't see that. It just looks like a water bottle to me. And that is to say, I have all of my own viewpoints on this. But I have to acknowledge, I have a differing perspective. I have a different preference. I have presuppositions. I have a different experience with this water bottle than you may have. But what I need to do is I need to take the opportunity 
to come around and to see this particular issue just the way you see it. That's powerful to be able to do that and say, look, my perspective is just my perspective, my preferences, my presuppositions, my experience. And that is a put-on. There's other put-ons here that Paul has told us to do. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Amazingly, this sounds a lot like the list of the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? But this is Paul. Okay, Paul wrote his letters. He included some things in one letter and then used that same concept in another letter. Why shouldn't he? He should. They're good concepts. So this is like a repeating of some of those concepts. So how do we put on humility? What can you? I'm going to show the op- an example doing exactly the opposite. Putting on humility. And humility means this. The real word there means humbleness of thinking. Humbleness of thinking is what it means. As we address these barriers that divide us, we have to have a humbleness of thinking in our minds. And my illustration says, of course I'm right, I'm Bob. I did not buy this for me. Somebody who knows me very well and knows that I'm a bit of a know-it-all bought this for me. Lovingly and jokingly, she bought this for me. But you know what? I have come to some very humbling realizations, and that is this. I don't know everything, and that I'm not always right. My humbling experience is this. I could actually be wrong. That is, my perspective, my presuppositions about my fellow brother, sister in Christ, it might need an adjustment. I might just have to hear their perspective on things. I remember when I made the first trip down to Haiti, and I'm thinking about, Lord, Lord, we're going to bless our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Lord, we're going to do all these things for them. Oh, God bless these people. They have no clue how hard this was for us. All the inoculations we had to go through, all the things we had to pack up to get to go down there. God, they have no idea. And then we sat there as a team before our first time we got together, and somebody was leading us in prayer. And in his prayer... I can understand a little bit of Creole because I have background in French. And what I heard in that prayer was this. He knew what we were going through. He prayed that God would protect our health while we were in Haiti. He thanked God for all the preparations we had gone through to get there. And I said, oh, mio mio, they really do know what we went through to make this trip happen. I had no idea. And my mind was all turned around about that. And I have a quote I'd like to share with you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by the way, was in, he learned so much about how to care for the disenfranchised Jews of Germany by looking at the American experience, even in the 1930s. He was very much attracted to understanding how the blacks were treated in America in the 1930s. And so he wrote this letter when he was in prison and included in this letter he said this, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or emit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. That's brilliant, brilliant words for all of us to put on that kind of perspective, that kind of humility that we would look at it that way. All right, so this set of put-ons that Paul, he ends with this. Bearing, verse 13, bearing with one another 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. This last put on is essential to removing all those barriers that separate us. Let me summarize this. If you don't know how beloved you are by God, if you haven't embraced daily how much God has forgiven you, if you don't perceive that you still need God's forgiveness every day, and if you haven't daily received God's forgiveness, then you're going to struggle in forgiving others. I am sincere about this, and so is Paul. So is the word of God. We need to speak the good news, the gospel to ourselves every day. And we need to walk in the truth that I need forgiveness and I am forgiven. But I declare to you today how much you are beloved of God. That God has positioned himself to forgive you for everything you've ever done wrong. And I declare to you, you can receive God's forgiveness simply by acknowledging Jesus as the one, the Christ, who took all of your blame, all of your guilt, and he did it by dying on the cross for you. This is good news. This is great news. And if this is for you good news that you've never welcomed before, and you want to know Jesus this way, you can know him now by praying along with me. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And as I pray this prayer, I want you to hear these words. Take them into your heart. So let me start. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. And I thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life. Be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Pastor Mike is our online pastor and he monitors our chat column in the one particular way that you can view today. And if you're on that chat column, would you please let Pastor Mike know you would like that you made that prayer today for the very first time. Or you can follow directions that are in the video after this message on how you can connect with us about this very, very important decision. Okay, so let me continue with some actions that will preserve our one accord unity. And in his words, Paul lays out that this outer covering of all these put-ons, all these things we've put on, that above all, verse 14, above all these, put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. The word in the Greek there means binds perfectly, binds completely. The word perfectly and completely there is the same words that Jesus said when he died on the cross and said, it is finished. It's complete. It's the same words. That that love binds us perfectly, completely. I believe it is a two-ply covering of love. Let me explain it this way. 
We put on God's love for us and then put on the love of God for one another. First, we put on his love for us. That's the put on of love for us. And then put on love for one another. So finally, my last set of readings, they're from John and his gospel. And I have two verses there I'm going to choose, or a couple of verses I'm going to choose today. First one's from John 13, verse 34. So let me read this to you. This is Jesus now being quoted. If you have a red letter Bible, this is in red letters. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, that is by that love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then in John 17, starting in verse 20, this is again Jesus. But this is his prayer. And Jesus prayed like this. I do not ask for these only, referring to his apostles, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know, that's us. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, Jesus was praying that prayer and seeing over the centuries, seeing over 2,000 years, he's seeing to us today that we, all of us who call the name of Jesus, he sees us right now. And he's praying for us that we would be one. And though because of our oneness, the world will believe. So if we get this one accord love right, that by loving all people, then all people will know that we're the real deal, that we are true followers of Jesus. We'll get their attention. That's what this verse says. And then in the next verse, Jesus is praying, referring to this unity with the Father, that we may partake with that, in that unity. Why? So that the world may believe that Jesus is from God. So my last principle is this. There is a kingdom strategy in this one accord unity. Not to generate good feelings, but to generate disciples of Jesus. At NC4, our mission, keep it simple, it's shared by many churches, to know Jesus and to make him known. It's, an, it's essential for us to achieve our mission that we do this one accord unity right. It's essential to our mission that we address the barrier that divides us one from another, that we put on some things that bind us to one another perfectly, that we might become reconciled to one another, that that division between us would be removed, that the barrier, all those barriers would be gone in Christ. Brothers and sisters, if the prophetic dream of Pastor Jack is a directive for us, and that is that at the next revival will be a revival of love, 
Well, we have to understand how to put on these things. More importantly, there is a world out there that is dying to see a demonstration of this love and the one accord that will cause them to see Jesus in us. In a Zoom session, our network director, Dan Backens, was doing an interview with a great man of God, Antipas Harris. And uh, Antipas is very active in reconciliation, racial reconciliation ministry. And Pastor Dan asked him a question at one point, and he said, are you optimistic for our future together? And Antipas said something which I thought was very interesting. He said, I'm not optimistic, I'm pessimistic. But I have hope. And I have hope because Jesus is our only hope for this world. He had it right. He knows that is where our hope lies. It's the only place, in what that's what he's saying, our only place of hope is in Christ. Let's pray. First and foremost, Lord, we humbly repent. Because, Lord, we've worked to keep these barriers up. Some of us, Lord, have hidden behind these barriers for a long time. Lord, we've justified them. But it prevents us from being in one accord with brother and sister. Instead, God, we freely receive these put-ons according to your word. Lord, we put on humility. Lord, we put on deep, heartfelt compassion. Lord, give it to us. We'll put it on. Compassion for one another. That, Lord, we would feel what one another feels. We would walk in their shoes, O oh God, to understand where they're coming from. And Lord, we freely accept the mission you have called us to. And Lord, I accept that mission, and I know, Lord, that to achieve that mission, Lord, we have to come into one accord unity. And I accept, Lord, that that's the only way we're going to make it through these days of tumult. No, more importantly, Lord, that you're going to use us, God, as a vehicle for the gospel during these difficult times. Lord, we bravely call upon you to fill our hearts with the courage to speak forth your gospel, your good news, Lord, and remove every barrier from every race, tribe, nation, O oh God. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.